You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast, and this is episode number 66. Today, we are talking with Jessica from Arizona, and her story is incredible. One, oh my gosh, I don't even know where, where to start with her story. I'm already so excited. I'm just going to tell it for her. <laughs> but um, she had a premature cesarean under general anesthesia. Her baby was in the NICU, um, her C-section baby. Um, she went on to have a fast labor with her VBAC and one of our previous podcast episode, Awesome People, actually talked to her to help her through um, as she was getting ready and she listened to all of our podcast episodes while she was getting ready for her birth. So I just have so many things I'm excited about for Jessica to share with us. But before I just talk on and on, as I tend to do, I'm going to turn it over to Megan for our review of the week. Thank you. I'm also really excited to hear this story. (laughs) We have a review today from Sarah B. on Google. Guys, did you know we're on Google? If you didn't, guess what? I'm telling you right now. (laughs) We're on Google. So if you can't leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, you can leave a review on Google. Just Google the VBAC link. So we've got Sarah B. today, and she says, This is such a great resource for everyone. I've never even had a VBAC and still find this site extremely useful. It has oodles of information that every expecting mother should know, especially on how to avoid a cesarean. I recommend their site and podcast to everyone I know. That was really sweet of her. And you know what? That is something that I want to kind of mention is a lot of people think they have to be a VBAC mom and they have to be someone wanting to VBAC to listen to this podcast or to have the blogs be something that's going to educate them. But that is false. These stories are for everybody. Not pregnant, pregnant, VBAC, non-VBAC. Someone who doesn't even want kids but wants to know about birth. It's all for junkies. It's for everybody. (laughs) Um, And this is a really awesome podcast on how to learn how to avoid a C-section. All of these mamas, they have their C-section stories and then they have their VBAC or they have their repeat C-section and they've got these amazing stories and they each one educates just little small bits all around um, in different ways on how to avoid a repeat. Yep. So, yeah. So check us out on Google or on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook. Leave us a review and you may just be the next one we read on the podcast. Hey, and guess what? Did you also know we're on Spotify? I feel like that's like super like hipster, trendy millennial of us, right? We're like on Spotify. (laughs) So if you're listening now, you probably already have a podcast app you use. But if you want to go check us out on Spotify, you should probably do that. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. As you already know, we are so excited to hear from Jessica. And before I start telling her story again for her, I am just going to let her take it away and tell us all of the amazing parts of her story herself. 
All right. So I guess I'll start with the reason I'm here and my first birth. Yeah. Um, so um, my husband and I started trying a year after we got married, <clears throat> and we got pregnant very quickly, had a very easy pregnancy. I hiked, and I did spin classes, and I just I felt really great the entire pregnancy. And then at 34 weeks, I realized I should probably take off my wedding, wedding rings because they were already tight as, as is. And I was like, I'm probably going to get swollen. I should just, I need to take them off. And I decided to try and take them off after working. Um, I was an, an adult ICU nurse at that point. Oh. And so I had worked uh, a 13-hour shift and tried taking them off, and they wouldn't come off. So I did every method possible that you could YouTube to try and get these rings off. And I ended up making my finger red and swollen. And my husband was like, just leave your finger alone and try again in the morning. So in the morning, I tried again and I couldn't get my rings off. Oh, and so that would make me I would panic. think, yeah, I was, I was <laughs> very panicked. I felt like claustrophobic and yeah. stuck. So he reached out to, I was going to go to a jewelry store and get them off. But then he reached out to his friend who's a, emergency room nurse or emergency room doctor sorry and he's like I take them off all the time like this happens just tell her to go to the emergency room and I was like okay whatever I guess I didn't really want to waste their time but I was like it's better than getting them cut off I guess so Mm -hmm. I drove to the nearest emergency room this is not the hospital I had planned on having a baby and I got in within 30 minutes they literally lubed up my finger and yanked them off and then they said, okay, well, we just have to uh, get you cleared by OB before you go home. And I was like, no, no, like, I'm only 34 weeks. I've had a great pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. And I'm good. And they're like, no, it's protocol. I was like, okay. <laughs> so they come with a wheelchair <laughs> and they wheel me over to triage. And I'm just Aww. like really apologetic. I just like felt bad that like there's women actually in labor. And I was like, guys, I'm not in labor. Like, and they're like, yeah, we know it's protocol. It's fine. So then they hooked me up to the NSP. And during that time, a nurse came over and she was like, hey, I don't want to worry you, but um, you're having some frequent contractions. Do you feel them? And I was like, I feel Braxton Hicks, but like, that's it. And she's like, well, they're just kind of frequent. So I do have to call the doc. I just want to let you know. And I was like, okay. And so uh, they said they wanted to then monitor me for an hour. So during that hour, his heart rate dropped Mm. and um, he did not like the contractions I was having. So I called my husband and I was like, hey, like, this is what's going on. I don't think it's anything serious. I think they're just being really, really cautious. He's like, we're not having a baby, are we? And I was like, no, no way. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so had the other, um, had the do cells and then they decided that they wanted to do a full workup. And so they did a bunch of things and I wasn't dilated. I was only like one centimeter and everything turned out to be normal but they wanted to give me some IV fluids. They thought maybe I'm dehydrated and my uterus was just acting irritable. So a doc came and was like, hey, like everything looks normal, but I I think we should just keep you overnight just to make sure like everything's fine. I was like, okay, (laughs) this is crazy. Like they're being really cautious. Yeah. And so they had reached out to my OB and told her like, hey, we have your patient, like kind of weird, but this is what's going on. (laughs) And so they brought me over to L&D this was like late at night at this point, maybe like 8 p.m. And I told my husband to go home. He's like, no, I'm not going to leave you. Like, I'll go check on the animals. I'll come back. Um, I'll bring a bag back and I'll stay with you. And so he came back and the nurse told me, you know, you're basically an observation patient. So if you need anything, let me know. Otherwise, you know, the plan is to just monitor you. And then in the morning, we'll get an ultrasound and, um, and you'll, 
you know, go home. So there was another heart rate drop, another decel where they came in and put oxygen on me. Mm. And, and then there was another one after that where they came and turned me on my side. So at this point, I'm like kind of nervous. I'm like, well, they're doing, you know, you know, but nothing crazy. And then at one point, a couple of residents came in my room and they started talking to me about an emergency C-section. <laughs> well, and uh, yeah, it was very, very abrupt. That never crossed my mind. But I was like, I, you know, I signed a consent. And afterwards, I started crying. And my nurse was like, I am so sorry. They shouldn't not come in like that. This is just something they have to do in case of an emergency because your baby's heart rate keeps dropping. Um, they should have explained mm-hmm. it better, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that's scary. So it was, ve- it was very, very scary, mostly because we just weren't expecting that. And I just thought we were there for observation. Yeah. So then probably at midnight, um, the nurse came in and was like, hey, things are, are looking good. You haven't had any contractions and the baby's heart rate's been perfect. And I was like, great, I need something to sleep. <laughs> so she brought me some Unisom and I went to sleep. And then at 2 a.m., about 6 to 8 people came into my room very urgently. And they, they turned me on all fours. They were giving me fluids. They put on oxygen. They were doing all the things. And then they said, you're going for an emergency C-section. Wow. And... I had to go to the bathroom at that point, and they were like, you can't go to the bathroom right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were getting me on the stretcher, and my husband had, like, just woken up, and they were rushing me out of the room. He was, like, running by us like he was in his socks. He didn't even have shoes on. And I was shaking so bad. I mean, the, the, I was shaking so bad. I was like, am I seizing? Like, why am I shaking so bad? And, oh, let me just, I for, should probably mention, whenever I talk about this story, people always are like, oh, swollen finger preeclampsia. Blood pressure was always fine. There was no issues with that. It was literally just because I was yanking my ring. So anyway, so they're rushing me down the hall, and I have no idea what's happening. I'm a nurse at this point, but I know nothing about premature babies. And so I just didn't know if, like, my baby was going to be okay. I didn't know if I was going to be okay. Like, I had never heard of anyone having an emergency C-section before. Like, I've heard of C-sections, but I didn't know any friends who had had, like, this type of C-section. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they bring me in the OR and I'm just like praying out loud, you know, like, I hope my baby's going to be okay and just praying. And they did what uh, they like to call a splash and cut. A <laughs> um, splash and cut? Splash and cut is what it's known as to labor and delivery nurses. Whoa, I've um, never heard of that. That so sounds just, like, awful. Just very fast. Um, so they had to prep me while I was awake. Oh so they literally gosh. just splashed the beta night on me. They were putting in the Foley. Mm. Um, they were administering the propofol, the, the sedative drug that goes in your IV, and it was burning. And I said, please just sedate me before you cut. And then the next thing I knew, I was awake. Um, my husband obviously couldn't come in the room since I was under general. So he was outside calling our parents. And we didn't know the sex of the baby. So I woke up from surgery, and they said, you had a boy. And I was really happy about that. And um, they said, you had a boy. He was pretty big for his gestation. He was five pounds, 12 ounces. And they said he's, he was screaming and he went to the NICU and, and he, you know, everything went well. And I just kept saying, a boy, a boy, because I, I really thought I was having a girl. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> that was my C-section. Um, we had a 19-day NICU stay, which was so hard. He didn't have any major problems, just feeding and growing and you know, learning how to breathe while doing, while eating and just normal preemie problems. Mm-hmm. But leaving the hospital was the hardest thing ever. And I had a really, really, really hard postpartum. I just had really bad PTSD from the birth. Yeah. And I had some postpartum depression and 
I was just really, I just felt like I didn't have like any transition to having a baby. You know, Mm -hmm. I went in for something totally unrelated to pregnancy and then literally had my baby taken out of me. So it just felt just really abrupt. And I just felt, you know, envious of normal births and people who went to labor. And I just, I didn't know what that was like. So I had to like ask multiple people who the OB was who performed the surgery. Cause like I wasn't at the hospital. I was going to deliver at my house. My doctor wasn't there, you know, and I went to the six weeks, six week appointment, um, like ready to like tell her my story and be like, Hey, this is why I was at this hospital. This is what happened. And she walked into the room and she's like, Oh my gosh, I've been thinking about you. I cannot believe your story. And she hugged me while I cried to her. And um, she was the most amazing doctor like ever. She just sat there and listened to me and she really, really did care. So I got really lucky with her. Um, And my story, his birth kind of led me to becoming a NICU nurse. So at seven months postpartum, I transferred to the NICU and I'm still there and it is the best job in the entire world. Yeah. (laughs) So it was very um, life changing in so many different ways. So then I guess I'll talk about my next pregnancy. So the OB told me that I could get pregnant again as long as I spaced the babies out 18 months. And she said everything went well with the surgery and I healed fine and there were no complications. So I got pregnant again literally exactly when she told me I could. Like we we got pregnant pretty quickly again. And in the beginning, I wanted a scheduled cesarean. I just thought it was safest. My husband thought it was the safest. You know, working in the NICU, we unfortunately see the only the bad births. You know, we our yeah. NICU team gets called to the vacuum deliveries and to the forceps and to the, you know, field, fetal distress. You know, we don't go to any good births. They don't need us there. So I think my birth, my idea of birth was just skewed. And I, I just didn't, I wasn't educated at all. So I ended up having to switch providers at 15-ish weeks just for insurance purposes mm-hmm. um, because I I needed to deliver at my hospital. It was just much cheaper. Yeah. So I went to a doctor that that OB had recommended because I really liked this OB. I trusted her. I thought she was incredible. And um, I didn't look into her. I just went to this OB. And um, and yeah, I met her and she was wonderful. And she actually brought up the idea of a VBAC. So like our very first meeting, she was like, hey, what are your thoughts on a VBAC? You, You are a great candidate. And I was like, well... I was actually thinking of having a cesarean, but I guess I can look into it. And so mm-hmm. I wasn't really sold at this point. I just, I was like, but I was like, wow, that was really awesome that she brought it up. You know, that's I'm glad really I have an impressive. Option. Yeah. Very impressive. So around 27 ish weeks, I became a certified lactation counselor. And during this course, they just talked about all the different labor interventions and how they, you know, can negatively affect breastfeeding. And, yeah. um, so I thought that was super interesting, and I didn't know that. And um, and prior to all my research, I was the person who said, like, why would anyone go unmedicated? Like, it's available. Just get it. And I, I just didn't really know much. I wasn't educated. So during that class, I started listening to some podcasts. So I listened to the birth hour first, mm-hmm. and I would listen to it religiously, too, and from the class. And I would just, like, try and find this VBAC-specific episodes. And then I finally found you guys on Instagram and I was so happy that I didn't have to like sift through episodes and it was just all, you know, everything I wanted to know. Yeah. It was perfect. And so then I started getting really inspired and I was like, oh my goodness, I want to be back now. And I was just so inspired by all these women. 
I did have a brief, you know, worry about rupture at this point. And I'm, I'm very much like a numbers person. I like statistics. I like hey, evidence. Me too. Um, which is why you guys are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked the OB, I said, hey, I want to know when the last rupture was. She said, well, it wasn't in this practice, but the last one at the hospital was on a woman who had never had a prior cesarean. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was on a woman who's never had any uterine incision whatsoever crazy enough and it can happen it happens yeah. yeah it does happen and that was the last one and and she said the last one I saw was when I was in medical school years before so um, I thought that was really reassuring and yeah. then um, I asked our medical director I said hey you go to all these high-risk deliveries how come we don't hear uterine ruptures very often and at this point I'd worked there about a year-ish and he's like well they just don't happen very often and I was like, and I've actually never seen an rupture baby here. And he's like, well, that's because if you act quickly, you know, there's no compromise. It's, it's very rare for a baby or mother to be compromised. Mm-hmm. So that kind of helped me with that, like, mental, you know, barrier that I had faced. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I kind of got past that, and I just went into full-blown prep mode. <laughs> so I watched the business of being bored. I hired a doula at 30 weeks, which was, at first, my husband was not on board with that, you know, financially, and he just thought a doula was like a, I don't know, some like hippie, like a woo-woo. I don't know. He just thought doulas were, yeah. like He's not, not the only and, one. He's not the only one. A lot of people are like, what? Like, why do we need that? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, he did. And he'll tell you differently now that he 100% can attribute our success to everything he did. So we found her. Um, she was my friend's doula, my friend who had to be back. Um, I started chiropractic care at 32 weeks. Thanks to you Yay! guys. I learned yes. a lot about chiropractic care through this podcast. And, um, <laughs> and both of the doctors in the practice actually had home births themselves. Well, their wives, obviously. But um, they assisted yeah. their wives in home births. So I thought that was really cool. I did the spinning babies. I did their balance exercises and lived in forward leading inversion. And sat on the birth ball, and I drank red raspberry leaf tea, so much of it. And I also listened to the Birthful podcast. I, w- I had my headphones on every day. Good Literally listened every day. And um, my, my, it's funny, my son actually, there's this book that he reads with, with um, dad at bedtime. And um, it's a dad and son book. And the dad in the book has ear, like earphones on, and he goes, Mama, Mama. Because I literally listen to hours of podcasts every day. <laughs> um, so I thought that was funny that he associated that with mom. Mm-hmm. And so during this time, I, I just kind of felt guilty that I didn't face, like, the challenges that other women have faced. You know, I listened to all these episodes and heard of all these barriers. And, you know, mine was just all mental. You know, I was like, well, I have a supportive provider and all, yada, yada, yada. And then during this prep, <laughs> I realized that, Certain things my provider said made me feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um, she didn't ever do anything wrong, and she acted very, very supportive. And maybe she would have been. I know that um, people in my ICANN group, you know, vouch for her, doulas vouch for her. But I just kept, like, I think it was, like, trying really hard to think she was the one. And then just as time went on, certain things that were talked about, <clears throat> I just remember hearing these comments that she said. Like, I remember one time she said something like, you know, VBAC is perfect for you unless your baby's over eight and a half pounds. Mm, yeah. And then and then one time she, oh, she also, I w- didn't want to find out the sex of this baby, and I accidentally found out 
while looking through my portal. Um, oh. was in there. Darn it. Um, which is partially my fault. At my old practice, I was able to look in my portal, and they, like, just omitted that information. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't ask. I just thought I could go in, and since I told them I didn't want to know, I thought it would be hidden. So I found out the sex of the baby by accident, and she, she called the baby a girl a couple of times, which, like, normally maybe that's okay, but it's like, you know, I accidentally found out that it's a boy. Like, I just felt like she should have remembered that. Yeah. Um, and then at, like, my 35-week um, appointment, I waited for an hour to see her, and my son was freaking out, and, and then she spent, like, five minutes with me, you know, and, and then she called my baby a girl again. And so I just, like, left the appointment crying and just feeling like if she, if she makes me wait this long and, and then spends five minutes with me, if she can't give me the time of day during my appointment, how is she going to be with me during my birth, mm-hmm. you know? And I just felt rushed. And she also made a comment on that ultrasound, and she's like, you know, baby's girth measuring a little bit big, but we'll just watch it, you know, you know, the risk of shoulder dystocia. And um, so it's just comments like that that kind of made me feel. She'd be rubbing me the wrong way too. Yeah. Yes. And and I realized I was trying to, when I talked to my doula about like how our things were going, I remember just like being defensive and trying to like make her sound better. I don't know. I can't really explain Mm -hmm. it, but I just just didn't feel right. So, um, and I think my doula knew something was going on, but my doula was, you know, supporting me in whatever decision I made. Yeah. So that night I was like, I think I'm going to switch providers which is another thing that I heard you can do. Yeah. And I was so nervous about it because I worked at the call. It is so hard. And I'm just a very type A person. Like I, I have to have everything, you know, organized and in a row. And it was <laughs> a big deal like for that. me. <laughs> and especially because I work at this hospital with her and I'll mm, see her again. Yep. Yeah. You know, like I work in the NICU. I get babies that she delivers, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I felt like I owed her something and I felt guilty. And, you know, when I brought it up to my husband, he was like, that just seems silly. Like, why would you even do that? Like, we're at the end, you know? And then I cried to him and I explained to him how I felt. And he's like, okay, like, you can totally switch. So I had a midwife in mind that a lot of my friends had gone to. And I actually would see her walking down the hall. And I'm like, oh, I know her. And I wish I had gone with her. And, And for many weeks, I had wished that I had gone with this midwife. I called the office and I got in with her and I met her at 36 weeks and she spent an hour with me <laughs> and she hugged me and she gave me her cell phone number and it just felt like, I don't know, home, you know, I just felt like she cared. And so I knew I made the right decision right then and there. Good. So, um, that was a huge deal for me. So then I was like, great, everything's set. I feel really good. You know, my biggest struggle was, you know, all personal struggles because I work in the NICU and the birth culture is really, really skewed. Like there are a lot of nurses who have cesareans, um, a lot of NICU nurses, and there are even nurses who have cesareans first babies. Yeah. And um, a physician there that. I think was it, yes. we were just was, talking we were, about that yes, We were today. just at an event last night. Or and last night, yeah. I do love, talked about how 70 Five? Did she say 70 or 75? Like 75, 70% of the small study of like OBs. Yeah, of female OB, OBs. Female OB, GYNs wow. choose cesarean. That is insane. Yeah. Like if they can't even have enough trust in their in own, own body ability to birth, like how can they really support? But it was a, it was a smaller study. It's a small so it's study, like not, yeah. Like not comprehensive or, or scientific oh, by any it. means, but like, but like really, if you have even with such a small sample size, I mean, what does that say to you about 
our system. It's yeah. really sad. It yeah. is so sad, and it's so messed up. And, um, and you know, there's different comments that people have said over the years, even they've heard about birth. It's like people said to me, like, I'm a very small-framed woman, and people... After my first birth, they're like, good thing you had a C-section. You probably wouldn't have been able to push that baby out anyways. And, yeah. and you know, I, I briefly talked about having a C-section to a few of my friends in the NICU. And even they, some of them even said stuff like, you know, your hips are really small. Like, I don't know if you'd be able to do that. So I just didn't tell anyone about it. And um, I really kept it to myself and to a few, you know, friends. But I did not talk about it in the NICU because yeah. it was so... It was just so hard, and I just didn't need judgment. I didn't need anyone to talk to me about anything and whatever. So then around 37 weeks, I had to sign consent at the practice for VBAC. I don't know if that's standard. Yeah, it is. Do you guys, yep. It is. So, you know, my midwife was like, hey, like, they're going to try and scare you. Like, just, you know, it, it's what they do, you know, yada, yada. And she didn't really give me much, like, I wish she would have recommended one of the providers she liked because I didn't know that there were some good and bad ones in the practice. I think there's like eight. And so when I scheduled my appointment, I was like, well, just pick one. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm just signing consent with them. I didn't know that they would overlook me like as a patient. Mm, I didn't know that they were overlooking like the midwife and myself. Mm. So I picked provider and, um, and so I went to meet with her expecting it to be bad, but it was terrible. (laughs) It wasn't informed consent. She just talked about the VBAC. She didn't talk about any C-section risks. And she also, she, I felt like she, like, tailored it to my situation to make me more afraid. Um, like, she was, she was terrible. She, um, she was like, you know, oftentimes women who have had a traumatic birth, they just do a lot better when they have a scheduled C-section in an environment that's controlled, and they, it's just really healing for them. Uh, and um, I just didn't like the way she, like, yeah, talked to me. Yeah, that's so mean. It was very, very mean. And then she said... And she knew that my first one was crash C-section for, you know, his heart tone. Yeah. And um, she said, you know, in another thing, how do I, how do I say this? With a VBAC, we don't tolerate fetal distress like we would in just a regular mom. You know, if oh there are signs of fetal distress, you know, we're going to take you to the OR right away. Whereas, you know, if you weren't a VBAC mom, we could do, you know, some other methods to try and like get the baby's heart rate back up. Mm. And so I thought that was kind of intense and then I also I wasn't getting routine cervical checks I just had one from my midwife I had had some bleeding so I just wanted to like see what was going on and so that day they were like okay undress and I was like no I'm not going to especially it's like I've never met this woman before yeah. you know and then you guys want me to undress and get a cervical check by her so she she didn't like that I wasn't getting cervical checks she's like you know another thing you know, we really want you to go into labor spontaneously. So you really should be getting cervical checks so that we can do things like stripping your membranes. And, you know, I was like, that seems kind of strange. You just said you want me to go into labor naturally, but yet you want me to get my membranes. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Contradicting so, um, yourself. Yeah. So I didn't really like that, but whatever. I moved on. And then a couple of days later, we got a uterine rupture baby in our, in our NICU. Um, and it was a bad one. Um, and it like hit me like a ton of bricks because, you know, everyone was talking about it and everyone's like, yeah, the mom was a V back and, um, the baby, Mm. you know, it it was just not a good one. Um, and the baby was pretty, um, baby did okay, but baby was pretty compromised. So, um, that just was like really bad and it put my stomach in knots, but I moved on. 
And then at 38 weeks, they told me that my midwife was booked. So I actually had to see a different midwife, one I'd, one I'd never seen before. Oh, my gosh. And um, then she came in. She seemed okay. And then she was like, oh, we got all of your records from your other hospital. And Dr. Peterson saw that you had a uterine window on your uh, surgical report. I was like, what? And I, I didn't know much about this. I had never heard of it. And I was like, what, what does that mean? And she was like, well, it means that your uterus was stretched pretty thin. She said, you know, uteruses can stretch thin during pregnancy. You know, it doesn't mean you can't be back necessarily. It just, it might put you at more, greater of a risk for uterine rupture. Mm-hmm. And she kind of said it. I mean, she didn't seem overly concerned, but she was like, you know, Dr. So-and-so will let you know if there's an issue with, with this. I was like, wait, so she's overlooking me? Like, I did not know this. And so she didn't seem super concerned about it, but I was like just really confused because I never heard this before through multiple OBs and, you know, now my midwife. So I went home and I Googled it and it was a terrible decision hmm. um, because it basically, I mean, some some people refer to it as an incomplete rupture even. Yeah. And, um, well, and yeah. Yeah, and I mean, from what I was reading, it's like they even recommend some people get tubal ligations. Like, they recommend that you don't get pregnant again. And when you do, they recommend you have a C-section at 36 weeks. Mm-hmm. So I was confused because I was like, first of all, why are they okay with me VBACing if I had a uterine window? And second of all, why hasn't anyone told me this? Yeah. And, um, and I just felt like I was, like, going to rupture at any moment at that point because I was just, like, so shocked and so confused And it just was horrible for me. So I reached out to you guys and um, I asked if you guys had heard of this and you guys were so sweet and got back to me and that helped me. And then I posted about it in my, I'm in this birth trauma group on Facebook and sweet Diana, who shared with you guys before, um, she's like, can I, can I call you? And I was like, sure. And she called me and listened to me talk and we talked for 45 minutes and you know, she had the same thing happen to her, and she's like, your uterus is strong, and she was so encouraging, and um, she's like, you heal, like, a broken bone heals, like, when you have a surgery, like, you heal, so that really made me feel better, and I ended up getting my surgical report, and not only once, but twice the surgeon referred to my uterus as normal, Good. and the only thing, and I think where the, the doctor tried to take this out of context there was an, during the surgery, they said, patient has a thin lower uterine segment. That's all it said. Hmm. That's it. So she must have taken that. I found out she was like a new, yep. So she was a new OB. She has actually never given birth herself. And I, she thought that she could use this scare tactic and it definitely worked. I was honestly telling my husband I was going to schedule a C-section because I was so afraid. And he just kept reassuring me and he's like, honey, like if you were going to, if your uterus was so thin at 34 weeks and about to rupture, don't you think you would have ruptured now at 38 weeks? Like your uterus is obviously fine. (laughs) And I was like, okay. So I eventually got over that hurdle and that was like the biggest mental struggle. (laughs) And so then after that, um, I was, you know, 39 weeks and then the next struggle began. Am I ever actually going to go into labor? Because I'd never gone into labor before. So I was just worried, and my midwife wasn't in a hurry. She said at the practice I could go until 42 weeks, but I still just, like, I struggled with that, especially because a lot of people at work were asking. Mm -hmm. 
and they were just asking what my plans are. And they're like, are you having another cesarean? And I was very much just telling them, like, I'm just going to go into labor and go from there. And it was just really hard because I'm an overshare. So hiding something like this from everyone was just really hard. Yeah. So anyways, I walked a lot, had sex, did all the things, <laughs> bounced on a birthing ball. And at 39 weeks and five days, I went into labor. The day before, I should mention, our AC in our house um, like was going out. So we had to turn it off, open all the windows, and we let my son sleep in our room. This is the first time he's ever slept in our room, by the way, um, since he was an infant. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I go into labor the night that he's sleeping in our room. <laughs> he knew. I, I bet he knew. <laughs> he could yes. feel it. So uh, at 2 a.m., I woke up to my first contraction, and um, I didn't think much of it. I was like, oh, I'm having some contractions. And I've ha- I had a few prior to that, like a few small ones that were manageable. But then I had another one and another one, and I was like, well, I better, I guess I better time them. And so I timed them, and they were like seven, three, four, seven, six. So I was like, well, they're not really regular. regular. Yeah. So I, I couldn't sleep, though. So I woke up my husband, and I was like, hey, I'm not like, I don't think I'm in labor, but I'm definitely having contractions, and I, I can't sleep. So I'm just going to go in the living room. That's why I'm not in here. He said, Okay. So then at like four in the morning, oh, sorry, I texted my doula at like 2.30 and my mom. And I just said, hey, like I'm having some contractions, nothing, you know, to freak out about, but I just wanted to let you guys know. And they both surprisingly texted me back, which I was like, why are you guys awake (laughs) at 2.30 in the morning? And they just said, keep me updated. My doula was like, I highly recommend like getting some sleep, drink a glass of wine if you can, um, and just try and rest because this could be a long road. So then around 4 a.m., I just like couldn't get comfortable I drank a glass of wine and I decided to take a bath so I went into our bedroom to take a bath and my husband's like what are you doing do not wake up our child (laughs) you need to go in the other bathroom and take a bath I was like okay so I went in the spare bathroom and I took a bath and then he decided to wake up because he noticed that I was not going back to sleep so he woke up around four and then my mom called and she was like hey I was gonna go to the gym she lived two hours away by the way and she was like, I was going to go to the gym, but I was thinking of just driving up there. And I was like, Mom, I really don't think you need to. She's like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to drive up there. And I remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, what if I'm not in labor and she misses work for no reason? <laughs> so that was like a worry for me. I don't know why. And so then around five is when I can remember that things were getting more intense because my contractions were loud and I woke up my son. <laughs> and he was he was woke up crying saying, Mama, and he was so sad that I was sad. And I remember, like, I was like, well, they hurt, and I would, like, kind of have to lean down, but I had I had breaks in between that felt great. So I was like, well, I feel like if this was bad, I wouldn't have these, these breaks in between. And I wasn't really timing anything at this point, but I just felt like since I felt good in between, it was fine. So I texted my midwife and let her know, and I texted my doula and told her things were getting a little more intense. <clears throat> and my midwife was like, okay, well, you can come by my office in the morning at 8. Just keep me updated. So then by 6 in the morning, I... <laughs> I was like falling to the ground um, and I needed my husband and he was trying to get my son out the door and I just couldn't handle it anymore. So I texted my doula and I said, Hey, I really need you here. These are getting a little intense. And uh, she's like, okay, I'll get dressed and head out the door. So six fifteen, she shows up and I'm, I, I, we think I'm in early labor, but I'm having a hard time managing. I kept going on to the toilet 
I don't know why that's where I wanted to labor. It just felt good to that's be right, there. That's a great birth or a laboring spot. It's great. I labored there for yeah. hours. It opens your hips. It, it releases pressure. Gravity. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just really nice. Like, it's a really great spot. People never believe us, but. It is. Yeah, I, I know. I couldn't get out of there. Sometimes it not so as comfortable for some. But yeah, when I like tell people when they're like going to the bathroom, I'm like, sit on it backwards. They look at me like, what? I'm like, trust <laughs> me, it's a really good spot to be. Yeah, it helps. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know why. I think it's because I had a lot of like like my contractions were like butt contractions. Mm-hmm. Like I can't really explain it, but I felt a lot of pressure back there and um and in my back. So I kept laboring there and. Just funny part of the story, all my windows were open in the house because of the air conditioning. So all of our neighbors definitely heard me laboring this whole entire time. I actually got a text from a neighbor in the morning (laughs) um, about if things were okay and if I had the baby. So I'm still at the house. And when my doula got there, I remember looking at her and I said, hey, I know I said I didn't want an epidural, but I'm going to need the epidural. I can't do this. And she's like, you are doing it. You are doing it. And so it was just, so finally my son went off to school. You know, he, he eventually was pretty cute, though. He would come up and rub my back, and he's 20 months old, so he doesn't know what's going on. And he, at one point, gave me his, um, he has like a little lovey that he sleeps with every night, and he, he handed me his sloth lovey. Like, he knew I needed something comforting. So it was pretty cute. And let's see, it's all just such a blur because it happened so fast. But my doula called my midwife at one point, and she was like, it's just so hard to tell, like, how far along she is, like, you know, with these toe lacquers. Um, and toe my doula's like, well, <laughs> <Not like>. I <laughs> know, right? I'm like, can't we just say I'm having a V-back? Why do I need to be a toe lacquer? Like, I don't know. So um, <laughs> it always, like, made me feel, like, offended. Like, no, I'm having a V-back. I'm not trialing anything, you know? Um, so she, like, put me on speaker and was like, hey, listen to this contraction. She's like, I don't know. It's hard to tell. So at around 6.30, I told them both, I was like, I need to go to the hospital. And both my husband and Dula, I, they thought I was in early labor, so they were really trying to stall me. And I, they kept saying stuff to stall me, and I was like, I will call the ambulance if you guys don't take me to the hospital. <laughs> um, I just felt like I needed to go. I needed meds. And um, so my husband packed up the car, and he comes in the bathroom at 645, and he goes, honey, I have to go get gas. <laughs> And I was like, no, no, you're not. I said, we're getting in the car and we're driving. We live 10 minutes from the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I had just gone on empty the day before. Mm-hmm. And I'm notorious for doing this, so I know my car can handle it. Mm-hmm. So I'm the same way. So, <laughs> my husband gets so, so mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> so bad for you guys to do that. <laughs> I know. I was actually so driving bad. with with Julie one time. She's like, I gotta get gas. I'm like, you'll you'll be fine. You'll make like, it. To so the... bad for She's your like, gas I've mileage. never I've like never gotten this low before. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a bad habit, but I do it all the time. So it I is. knew that we were. I knew that we would make it. So um, my doula put a. Um, a towel down in my front seat and she drove separately. And I don't know if she drove separately because like that's what she normally does or if it's because I had two car seats in the back of my car mm. and like there wasn't really much room. So I was like really distraught that she had to drive separately because I like needed both of them. I, I just felt like I needed both of them. And by the way, right before we left, it was the most beautiful morning in Phoenix. So in Phoenix in May, it can be like 90 degrees at this point. I lived in Phoenix for a year and yeah, oh, I love, it's so nice. I love the heat. I'm a it, desert rat so much. Oh, it could get really hot, but yeah, we had the most beautiful like month. <laughs> yes. 
But that morning, it was raining, and it was, like, mm, perfect weather. <laughs> so right before we left the house, and it was just such a struggle getting me off the toilet. My doula kept saying, like, what do you want to wear? And I just I couldn't get out of the bathroom. I couldn't get dressed. It was just such a struggle to get me up. So I finally get up and go to the kitchen, and I looked outside, and I had always dreamt of laboring in my backyard because it's, like, just super green, and our greenhouse is, like, just flooded with plants, and everything just looks great. And it was raining, and rain is my favorite. So I walked I outside, it. and I wanted to have this, like, zen moment. And I, so I just walked outside. I don't know what I was doing. And my doula was like, do you want to take off your clothes, and I'll take a picture? And I was like, no. I was like, we have to leave right now. And, like, all of a sudden, I snapped out of it. I was like, I cannot be out here. I have to get in the car and go to the hospital. So it was just weird. It was, like, this weird moment. I wanted to be outside, and then I, like, was having another contraction. So I was like, absolutely not. Like, why are we stalling? Let's go. So we go and we get in the car and she's behind us and it's seven in the morning, rush hour traffic. Mm. We're trying to get to the hospital. And that was the worst drive of my life. Um, I, <laughs> I can't even imagine what, <laughs> I can't even imagine like what other cars were thinking, like watching me because I was like, I don't know, it was just very intense. And then my water broke. Um, oh, in the car. All over. Yeah. Oh thank God gosh. we had the towels down and it was a big, big rush, big gush. And then I kept feeling like I had gone poop. <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, Jeff, did I go poop? And he's like, no, no, you didn't go poop. And uh, I just kept feeling lots of like pressure. And like, at this point, I was kind of pushy. At the end of every contraction, there was like this last little like, I can't describe it, but like my voice changed. And there was like this little push at the end. And so I like knew the baby was going to come soon. Um, at least I thought that. But, like, in my mind, I'm like, there's no way. Like, I'm in early labor, and I just can't handle this labor. I don't know. I just didn't know what to, to think. So we get to the hospital, maybe, like, 7.15 in the morning, and um, we park it in the parking garage. And we get out of the car, and my doula has her, like, little, she has, like, this little suitcase thing. And she's like, if you need to sit down on this, you can. So then I had another contraction in the parking garage, and two ladies on a, um, a golf cart stopped, and they're like, do you need a wheelchair? And my doula and my husband were like, no, she's fine. And I was like, give me the wheelchair. Like, what are you <laughs> thinking? Like, I'm in labor. And I think they just wanted me to walk. I don't know. I don't know. So then they're like, give me the wheelchair. And I have, like, a towel wrapped around me. Like, my water broke in the car. <laughs> and so they wheel me in. And on the way in, I see a coworker who's leaving work. <laughs> and she, like, starts to say hi and then, like, realizes, like, I'm having contractions. So she's like, oh, not a good time. Not a good time to chat. <laughs> <laughs> and she just kind of walks away. So then we're approaching the triage desk. And there's this cute couple there, probably in early labor. And I'm just like roaring. Like, I was so loud during my labor. And um, they're like, just go back. Just go back. And they didn't, didn't even want us to check in. So they take me to triage. And in triage, so my husband was doing all this prep work. Like he got really into birth and like he became like a total birth nerd. Like Love I would it. say stuff like, I would be like, all right, Jeff, quiz time. So if the nurse comes in and says, hey, it's time for a cervical check. What do we do? And he goes, fired. And so like he was just fired. Like, <laughs> he was just super Love cute. And, like, <laughs> That's he is like so cute. So guess what he says when we get, so we get into triage and they check me. And um, they were very wonderful. They're like, can we take off your pants? I'm like, well, yeah. Like, I'm not able to do it. Like, of course. And they're like, okay, I'm going to touch your legs first. And then, and Jeff goes, wait, honey, do you want a cervical check right now? And I was like, Jeff, it's not the time. Like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And like, he was like, and like the poor guy, like, they checked me and they're like, oh, she's complete in a a plus three. 
Like, and I was like, please tell me that's close. And they're like, you're having a baby right now. Like, we have to get you to a room. Wait, she said complete? Complete. Oh, complete and plus, plus three. three. That is, oh, my uh, gosh. That is close. That's really um, close. Like, yeah, your baby's right there. Yeah. Like, you cough and your baby will come out. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, you need, we need to get you to a room right now. So then, like, yeah. my husband's trying to call the midwife, and she's like, tell her not to push. Like, you can't tell a woman not to push when she's, like, mm. in labor. Like, you just, your body naturally does it, you know? Yeah. So they get me to a room, and um, I asked my husband, like, if he felt relief when they said that. And he was like, no, I was just trying to figure out who was on our team. And I'm like, Aww. Jeff, I'm pretty sure when you go in, like, pushing, like, everyone's on your team. <laughs> but in his mind, he was just trying to, like, make sure that, like, you know, we were in the right hands. And he just listened to so many podcasts with me and, like, really did so much research. So we get into the room, and a doctor from my practice that I never met before comes in, and he says, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so. Michelle's on her way. That was my midwife. But it looks like you're about to have a baby. So if you feel like having a baby, we can have a baby. So I had a contraction, and I think he could kind of see the head. So he's like, it looks like you're uh, about to have a baby. And I said, I, I'm ready. I'm, I'm feeling pushy. So a nurse was like, all right, let's turn on your back. And I was on my side at this point. And I was like, uh-uh, I, I, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm going to have the baby on my side. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I know that I didn't want to deliver on my back. Like, I know that that's not a good position for you. But it was more so that I couldn't move. Like, I was like, I'm not moving from this position I'm in. I'm, I'm going to live here now. So then, I mean, this was at 7.20. Like, I arrived into the room at, like, 7.20. And I don't know, it all happened really fast. But I basically had two pushes for his head. And then one push for his body. I pushed for about five minutes. Nice. Um, That's awesome. And I mean, I think it was five minutes. I actually read my like note this morning. I was like, oh, I should read what they have to say. And they wrote three minutes. So I was like, wow, that's just insane. Um, Fast. <laughs> and oh, oh, sorry, let me reverse. Um, when he introduced himself and he's like, when I told him I was ready, he's like, well, let's have a baby. And I asked him if I could, I said, I want to pull my baby out. And he said, let's do that then. And he was just so supportive. And there were so many people in the room just like, you're doing a great job. And I just felt like I had this amazing team. Oh, I, I just like forgot to tell like my favorite part of my entire birth. Oh, my gosh. So after I had that first contraction that he was like, well, looks like your baby's coming. So um, let's have this baby. I had this pause that lasted like four or five minutes. It was really long. Yep. And I was, <laughs> I was having no contractions. I felt just like complete peace and no one in the room talked. And I just looked at my husband and I was like, we're having a baby. And um, Mm -hmm. there's pictures of this. We're just kissing and my doula's there. And um, I also forgot to mention that my mom came in right before I pushed the baby out, like literally made it just in time. She's like, I'm looking for my daughter. And they're like, what's her name? Or she was like, her name's Jessica. And they're like, well, there's a girl in there, but we don't know her name. So just go on. (laughs) So my mom made it and like, no, she never saw my nephew born. And like, this is her first grandbaby that she saw born. Um, so, uh, yeah. So we had that like moment of quiet, which was like so amazing. I can't even describe like what it was like, but it was just like this quiet. And then I pushed the baby out and um, I pulled him onto my chest. And my husband swears that before he even landed all the way on my chest, I said, oh, my God, oh, my God, I want to do this again. Oh. And um, everyone in the room laughed. And I meant the pushing part, not the labor part. Um, <laughs> but the pushing part was like, I was always so fearful of that. And it was just the most amazing feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. And um, 
if I could do that part again, I would just do it again, just to remember what it's like yeah. um, to feel him, like his body come out, you know. So I pulled him onto my chest and I got my skin to skin and I was the first person to touch him and he breastfed right away. I was like, wow, full-term babies just know how to eat. This is amazing. <laughs> um, and we went home the next day and it just felt like a complete dream because it was just so different than my first birth. And, um, you know, during all this prep, I just, um, I just really didn't fully like believe in myself. And, um, I, I didn't mention this, but when I met my midwife the first time, I asked her if it made her nervous that it was a V-back. She was like, no, not at all. She's like, to come to think of it, like, I have never had a failed V-back. And that, for some reason, like, kind of made me nervous. I was like, what if I'm her first failed V-back, you know? Oh, yeah. Hmm. So that kind of, like, sat with me, and I just, like, I just didn't fully trust myself. So, like, I, it, all the live photos that everyone took, my mom, my doula, like, the whole time, I'm just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. My uterus didn't rupture. Like, I, I had a V-back. I can't believe this. I was just so in shock. And I didn't have a hospital band. I didn't have an IV. Like, I literally showed up with minutes to spare. Thank God my husband didn't get gas, you know. Yeah, um, seriously. And um, it was just so different than, I mean, it was still different than the plans I had, you know. I yeah. made a playlist, and I thought we would play games I don't know I, I didn't know what people did in labor I just had a huge fear of being in the hospital during labor like I really didn't want my coworkers to know and I just didn't really want to be there and it just happened to work out that way in a in a completely different way you know so yeah no it was amazing I love I love when you know there's so many people who are like I want to labor at home as long as possible or Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then they literally do that. And sometimes it can be really overwhelming because, yeah, you're like panicking, trying to hold a baby in on the way. And it can kind of be almost traumatic mm-hmm. getting there because and not having a baby in the car. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, I love that you could get there and then you're like, they're like 10 and plus three or complete and plus three. And you're like, <laughs> why have that been so close? And you're like, yes, you're right there. <laughs> so I love sometimes when that happens because it's just, it's just so nice to just walk in and have a baby. It's so nice. Yes. So, yep. and you know, one thing that I learned, well, I learned a lot of things from this experience, but the thing that I love the most is that I learned that you don't need anything. Like you really don't, mm-hmm. like you we really are don't. capable of having our babies. I didn't yep. need the hospital. You know, nope. it was where I gave birth, but I didn't need anything that they provided. Yep. I could have had my baby elsewhere and been fine. And so that was really cool for me to realize. And the fact that I, I felt like the whole time I never felt like anything was wrong. And I feel like you would know if something were wrong. You know, if your baby was compromised or something was happening, I just feel like we would know. You know, I just felt so in tune with my body yeah. during my labor that, you know, that just really validated that for me. And then just the last thing that I think is so important is a doula. Like, we really struggled with the doula thing. You know, it's a huge cost, and it's, you know, this person coming into your birth space. But I, I, in my mind, in the beginning, I was like, I want this person there for my labor to provide me this comfort during my labor. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it was the the pre-birth and the postpartum stuff that she ultimately helped me with the most. You know, had I not done all the prep work and... You know, just she sent me so many podcasts, and she she just reminded me all the time, like, hey, have you started making some freezer meals for postpartum? Hey, like, 
have you been doing your inversions? Have you, have you rebozoed? You know, mm-hmm. and I really do think that the reason I had such a fast labor is that I was prepped and I did all these things for my body and, you know, postpartum has been so much easier. I mean, for many reasons, but, you know, I, I prepped myself and, um, made bone broth and made all these meals that she recommended, you know, a a doula is just invaluable. Like I, invaluable. Like I think everyone should have a doula. (laughs) I wish that, I wish there were more ways that people could get doulas, like people who don't have the financial means. And I know there are doulas who do sliding scales, but I wish there were more opportunities and more ways we can help women because I just feel like if we prep women better and educate them more, you know, they'll just have better births. Yep. Agree. I agree with you 100%. I think that everybody, you need to do that. And that's what we teach a lot in our, in our VBAC prep course for parents and our VBAC doula certification program. We talk a lot about doulas in our parents course, but with our VBAC certified doulas in our training, we go over a lot about the extra prenatal care VBAC clients um, will need and how to spend extra time prenataling, how to identify issues on top of all the other things that doulas just regularly do for you prenatally. Um, I'm really excited because listening to your story, I was trying to like pick out the piece I wanted to highlight and share, but... I think you have so many really cool things that happen in your story. So I just want to refer people to our blog, the vbacklink.com slash blog, because we have blog on um, like uterine window. It's our uterine rupture blog talks about uterine window. We talk about um, doulas. Obviously mm-hmm. we talk about um, VBAC after having a premature cesarean. We talk about how to find a good provider and switch providers. But the one blog I really wanted to focus on is um, we have a blog called Why Intuition is Your Most Powerful Birth mm-hmm. Tool because you really did tune into your intuition. You educated yourself. You hired a doula and you did what you felt was right and, um, it, and it literally guided you through that. And so one thing I want you to do right now, right now, as soon as you're done listening to this episode is go to our website, thevbacklink.com. And scroll down a little bit, and you're going to find some a little section called freebies. Um, well, freebies, I think, oh, I don't remember what I just, I think I just renamed it. But it's called free freebies or something like that, free downloads to level up your VBAC game or something like that. And we have one there called VBAC Affirmations. And me and Megan picked out um, our top 10 affirmations that we used to help us during our birth, like the things that we said to ourselves and the things that really stuck out um, to be the most powerful affirmations for us because... Believing in yourself is a huge part of the battle. And so that's why we created these special printable or downloadable printable VBAC affirmations Mm -hmm. just for you, ones that meant the most to us. And so we want you to go grab them from our website right now, print them out. We have a five by seven version and we have a eight by 10 version that you can print out and hang all over your birth space, all over your house, take them with you to the hospital, wherever you need to have a little piece of us and what helped us have a successful VBAC in your space and in your environment as you prepare. Um, We wanted to thank you again so much for sharing your story with us, Jessica. We just love talking to you and congratulations. You are incredible. (laughs) Absolutely. I am so excited that you shared your story with us. I love it. And I love that you recognized red flags. Mm -hmm. You recognized, you followed your intuition. You, I mean, there was so much about your story. I'm like, 
pretty much everything we preach you did yeah <laughs> and it was awesome I'm like yep yeah. yep yep check yeah. check check yeah <laughs> I don't think I could have done it without you guys Aww. like I really feel that I don't know you guys are changing changing birth that's Um, what we want to do (laughs) just one person at a time because this is the thing birth is a business it is that's how we have Mm -hmm. it in the united states hospitals are businesses and patients are the consumers and when the consumers ask for more and demand more that's when the business provides more and gives more and so until we have these birthing women that have had cesareans asking for v-back demanding v-back asking for more options and insisting that the providers provide evidence-based information for them and allow them to make decisions that are in, so that they're in charge of their birth, that's when the birth culture is going to change. And that's what we want to do with the VBAC link is educate all the people so that they can drive this change from the consumer level because that's where it all starts. And we are so proud of you for taking charge of your birth. Thank you. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to thevbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.